Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as your church boldly in Christ alone, our risen Savior. And even as we have just sung, we proclaim death is dead, love is won, Christ has conquered. praise you this morning for your amazing grace. We praise you this morning for the love of God that sent his only begotten son. We praise you this morning for the son who came willingly, who took on flesh, who paid our penalty that we might have life by faith alone. Pray you this morning for the Spirit who indwells us, who empowers us. And even this morning, as we look to your word, may your Spirit work through the word for your glory. I pray that for each and every one of us that our desire would be this morning as we come to your word, that your Spirit would work, that we'd be open to your working, that you would change us, that you would challenge us, that you would mold us into your image. Father, we know that you have fully equipped us. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your word. We have all that we need. And we not bow to excuses. And may we stand up and may we boldly embrace the word of God. And may you work for your glory. Give me boldness and authority this morning to proclaim your word. Pray that I would preach with clarity with authority. May you be honored. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we'll be in Romans 8, verses 1 to 11. Romans 8, I invite you to take your Bible and to join me. When we were doing our online services, I would say, if you don't have a Bible, get up and go and find one. You probably don't have one stashed around the church somewhere, so follow along with someone beside you if you don't have one. Romans 8, Verses 1 to 11. It's a well-known passage. It's a passage that many of us have probably memorized. We've spent a lot of time in. As we come to Romans 8 this morning, we're coming to the end of an argument. We see that in the first three words of Romans 8.1. It says, there is therefore. Bible teachers will teach you when you see the word therefore, pause and see what the therefore is there for. Paul has been unfolding an argument over seven chapters. As we come to Romans 8, we come to this conclusion. Just quickly, a run-through of a, a quick overview of the chapters. Romans 1, there no one has an excuse before God. Romans 2, God is a righteous judge. Romans 3, everyone is a sinner and everyone needs salvation. Romans 4, salvation, justification comes by faith alone. Romans 5, there's life in Christ Romans 6, the, 6, the Christian is free from the power of sin. Romans 7, the Christian is free from the power of the law. Romans 8, in Christ, the Christian is secure. 
This morning as we work our way through this chapter, there are these verses, we'll see in Christ your reality, in Christ your righteousness, in Christ your reward. First thing we see, in Christ your reality. Romans 8, 1. Romans 8, 1 starts with a very definitive statement. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, what you'll notice as we work our way through this passage is, is Romans 8, verses 1 to 11, is a very logical argument that Paul has laid out. If you just quickly look through it, Paul starts with this declaration, this statement, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Verse 2, notice the word it starts with, for. He's developing that argument. Verse 3, for. He continues developing it. Verse 4, to what end? That. Verse 5, for. Verse 6, for. All the way to verse 10, and. This is a logical argument. He's coming to a conclusion and he's leading us logically through this. And I'll go ahead and tell you the conclusion right now. There is therefore no, no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because there is no condemnation, there is therefore now no death for those who are in Christ Jesus. He starts out here in verse 8. There is therefore, because of, of Romans 1 through 7, everything he's laid out. And really, he's kind of going back to Romans 5, verses 12 to 21. The idea that, that in Adam all die, but in Christ... The second Adam, the better Adam, all who, who have faith in him, live. Death in Adam, life in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation. Notice the very definitive statement. It's not there, there is maybe no condemnation. It's not, it's a, there could be no condemnation. We'll have to wait and see if your works outweigh your bad. Your good works outweigh your bad works. We'll have to wait and see. There, there's a good chance that there's no condemnation. It's final. There is no condemnation. The word condemnation is the opposite of justification. Many of us know the definition of justification. If I said, what is the definition of justification? Many of you would probably be able to stand up and say, it's to be declared righteous. Condemnation is the opposite of justification. While justification is to be, to be declared righteous, condemnation is to be declared guilty. To be shown to, to be guilty. And then to face the penalty for your guilt. It's more than just a sentence. It's the carrying out of that sentence. We know from Paul's argument in the first seven chapters... We know what the wages of sin is. We know what this condemnation is. Romans, uh, Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Death. That's the condemnation. Death. Hell. Separation from God forever. There is no condemnation. There's no condemnation to a specific group of people, to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
There is no condemnation, period, to those who are in Christ Jesus. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? To be in Christ is to be united with him by faith, as Romans 4 and 5 unfold for us. In fact, the rest of Romans 8, 1 goes on to explain what this looks like. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now we need to define some terms here. Because that word walk can be confusing. A lot of times when we think of the word walk, we think of our Christian walk. We think of our sanctification. If that's the meaning here, then this is a scary verse. If that's the meaning here, then what it's saying is, if you are currently walking how you should be walking, then there's no condemnation. But if you're not walking how you should be walking, then there is condemnation. That's not what this verse is saying. Walk here is not, is not sanctification. It's not growing in Christ. It's more the idea of, of the path that you are on. It's the idea of your reality. If you are in Christ, then you are walking in the Spirit. Those who do not walk in the Spirit walk in the flesh. Their sin nature. But those who are in Christ, they do walk according to the Spirit. They are on the narrow way. They are on the right path. They can't get off that path. This is not a walk that you can stop, that you can turn around, that you can change. You're secure. So Romans 8.1 starts with your reality in Christ. In Christ, there is no condemnation. Period. In verses 2 to 10, we see in Christ, then your righteousness. How can this be? We've already seen that the wages of sin is death, so how, how can there be no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Well, verse 2 explains that. Four. Four. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Here again, we need to define some terms, lest it be confusing. These words law is not law as in a written law, but as in power. For the power of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit, has made me free from the power of sin and death. If I am in Christ, I'm free from this. I'm free from the power of sin. I'm free from the power of death over me. It's important to note here that in Romans 8, 1 to 11, these 11 verses, there's 11 mentions of the Spirit. He's central to this entire passage. In fact, he's only mentioned one time in the first seven chapters of Romans. But in Romans 8, 1 to 11, he's mentioned 11 times. In fact, if you go through the end of the chapter of Romans 8, he's mentioned almost 20 times. 
power of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the power of sin and death. If I am in Christ, sin and death have no power over me. How can this be? We'll look at verse 3. It goes on. Four. Four. What the law could not do. Now we know the answer to that, don't we? What could the law not do? The law could not save. The law could never save. We, we just worked through Galatians several months ago. Galatians 3.11. It is evident that no one is justified by the law. The law cannot save. The law never could save. In fact, that was never the purpose of the law. The law does not save. The law condemns. The law opens our eyes to our sin. Notice that the, the, the law could not save what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. Even in Galatians, Paul points out several times, the problem is not the law. The law is a good thing. The problem is your sinful flesh. The law could not do that. It could not save. It was never meant to save. But what the law could not do, God did. What the law could not do, God did. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave his only son. Why? That whosoever believes in him should not perish, should not face condemnation, but have what? Life. The law could not do that. The law could not forgive sin. The law could not grant life. But God did. And he did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Notice the expert precision of Paul's language here. If you take out that word likeness, you have a very different verse. A very problem-causing verse. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came in the flesh. He was fully God and he was fully man. But he was not sinful. He was perfect. We see that in John 1, 1 to 18. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians 2, 5 to 11, the kenosis of Christ, fully God and fully man. Deity inhabiting humanity. What the law could not do, it could not save. So if you're following Paul's argument here, he started with, there is no condemnation. If you are in Christ, you are free from the penalty for your sin. How? Because the power of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the power of sin and death. Well, how can that be? Because God has done it. Because God sent his son. He sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh because of sin. On account of sin. And because of that, he condemned sin in the flesh. By 
coming in the likeness of sinful flesh and dying for sin. He stripped sin of its power over the guilty. The righteous died for the unrighteous. Holy God satisfied the justice of holy God. That we who are unrighteous may be saved. In fact, verse 4 goes on to explain that. Why did God do this? To what end? Why would God do this? To what end that he condemned sin in the flesh? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He didn't do this to give us power, so okay, now you can earn my favor. He did it because we couldn't do that. Christ took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. He took our sin that we could not care for and he gave us a righteousness that we could not attain. He did this that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Why? Again, verse 5. Why would he do this? Why would holy God satisfy the justice of a holy God against the sinful people? Why would he go to these extreme steps, these extreme measures? Because we couldn't save ourselves. It's because he loves us and because the law could not do that. So we see in verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Before Christ, our minds, we were in the flesh and our minds were set on the things of the flesh. That is all. But in the Spirit, By giving us his spirit, this, the, the power that he's given us. The, we have power. We are free from the power of sin and death. This is what we see in Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. Be filled with the spirit. Galatians 5, 16 to 26. The fruit of the spirit. Notice that these are not optional. The fruit of the spirit is not a suggestion. You know, if when you grow up, you get around to wanting to fulfill the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, that, that'd, be, that'd be a great idea. That's not the idea here. It's not optional. Ephesians 5, 15 to 21, to be filled with the Spirit. Paul doesn't say, you know, don't be drunk with wine. If you feel like it, though, be filled with the Spirit. He commands it. Be filled with the Spirit. That is what is natural for the one who walks according to the Spirit. For the one who's been put on the narrow path. If you have the Spirit, you'll walk according to the Spirit. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect. Right? We saw that last week at the end of John 4. It's not perfection.
Verse 6 goes on. 4. It explains verse 5 further. To be carnally minded. To be in sin, in the flesh. What is its end? To be carnally minded is death. But, to be spiritually minded, to be filled with the Spirit, to have the Spirit indwelling you, is to be, is, what's its end? Life and peace. Mm -hmm. Why? Verse 7, because the carnal mind is at enmity against God. It's against Him. It's not subject to the law of God, and nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Notice that that's just as final as verse 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In Romans 8-7, we have one of the plainest explanations of the doctrine of the total depravity of man in all of Scripture. We are sinners. And apart from Christ, we have no hope. Apart from Christ, we cannot please God. That's how desperate and hopeless we are without Christ. Verse 9, but, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You want to know if you're in the flesh or if you're in the Spirit? Have you placed your faith in Christ alone? It's not about your works. It's not about who you are. Just this week, I had a man come and, and he sat down in my office and he said, I'm a traveling preacher. I'm trying to learn all these different languages. Uh, my bike is broken. There's a $12 part across the road that I need to get. Uh, and he started giving me a little bit. He, he said, I... I I grew up in a Christian home, and when I was about 11 years old, I was in a car accident. And when I woke up from my coma, I told my mom, God has given me a mission. And I said, well, that's interesting. Do you, uh, have you ever placed your faith in Christ alone? Are you trusting in what God has done for you in Christ, or are you trusting in that when you woke up? And at that point, he said, well, you're ignorant. I just told you I grew up in a Christian home. That's a stupid question. I said, well, it doesn't... I'm sorry you feel that way, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say, if you grew up in a Christian home, if you're a good person, it says, have you trusted Christ? At that point, he grabbed his paper out of my hand and stormed out and said something about robots. <laughs> but his trust, his hope was in the wrong place. placed your faith in Christ? Have you been indwelt by the Spirit? The Spirit of God dwell in you. 
you walking on the right path or are you walking on the wrong path? Verse 10. And if Christ is in you, if you are in Christ, if you've been filled with the Spirit, if He has indwelt you, then the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You might say this is our resurrection service. We're celebrating um, the resurrection. Why, why are we going to this passage? Because they're right here. So we come to the end of this passage. This is why we're here. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. We live in a fallen and a dying world, and we live in dying bodies, but we are filled with the Spirit of life. And notice the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Because in Christ we stand before God as righteous. Because we stand not condemned, but justified. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, as we've just seen in Romans 8, 9 to 10, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If the spirit of life dwells in you, that he who gave life to Christ will give life to you. Because Christ rose you will rise. And this is where it comes full circle. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 12-22, that if Christ is not raised, then we are of all men most miserable. But because Christ is raised, there is therefore no, no condemnation. And because there is therefore no condemnation, there is no death. Notice the argument here, starting in verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, period. How? The Spirit has set us free. How? Because in Christ we've been redeemed. Why? So that we might be free from the law and its demands. To what end? To the end that in Christ we might not die, but live, and we might have life. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Therefore, there's no death for those who are in Christ. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 4 to 5. 2 Corinthians 5 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, but at the, at the beginning in verses 4 to 5, Paul's making his argument. He says, what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. He's talking about putting off our, 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 these bodies and putting on our glorified bodies. He doesn't talk about that in terms of loss, in terms of death. It's not the end of something, it's merely an exchange. Where what is mortal puts on life, what is eternal. So we come to the end of these 11 verses. I would encourage you this morning, if you have never placed your faith in Christ, if you are not trusting in Him alone, do it now. Romans 8, 1 to 11 is a, is a 
contrast between life and death, between the spirit and the flesh. One leads to life, being in Christ, being filled with the spirit of life and being indwelled. One leads to death, separation from God. Those are the two choices. So my question to you this morning is, which are you? Are you under condemnation? Are you under the power of death, of sin? Or do you have the spirit, power of the spirit of life? Are you in Christ? If you don't know the answer to that question, I would encourage you. In just a second, we're going to close. We're going to sing a song. I would encourage you, come to the front. I would love to take a Bible and go to a side room. Someone else can close the service for us. And simply show you from the Word of God what it means to be in Christ. How you can be saved from your sin. How you can have life. Christian, this morning, be reminded who you are in Christ. Be reminded that there is no condemnation for you, ever. There might be consequences to some of the sins that you choose, but there's no condemnation before God. Be encouraged. Be encouraged that you have the spirit of life within you. That you are not under the power of sin or death. And live as those who are alive in Christ. Live as those who have hope. I'm going to end by reading 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 22. And then we're going to close by singing the song, It Is Not Death to Die. And I'd encourage you as we're singing that song to pay attention to those words. That'd be your song of response. And, and whether you need to bow at your seat and spend some time in prayer, go out and find a room or come forward and talk to me. I would encourage you to take that step, to do something, to respond to God's work. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 22. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is also empty. Yes. And we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. 
But now Christ is risen from the dead. He has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. 